Principal Matters Podcast, Episode 98. Hi, Principal Matters listeners. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast. Each week, I bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, I want to talk about messaging with teachers, the foundations, models, and framework for instructional leadership. If you'd like other free resources like this one, you can check out my posts, podcasts, and books at my website at williamdparker.com. You know, when I was in high school and college, I spent a lot of time diving for shells in the lakes near my home in West Tennessee, and it wasn't as glamorous as it sounds. Lake diving is work that requires you to spend a lot of time in depths too dark to see while crawling in mud or sand, searching for shells with your hands. And it's a job that requires relatively good navigation, especially on windy or stormy days. One day, I was sitting in the boat with my dad after pulling a bag of shells up from a dive, and we were sizing the shells. The weather was cold and windy, and we were both wearing diving hoods. And suddenly, my dad handed me a mussel shell. It was a large three-ridge shell that normally brought more on the market because of its size and quality. And diving regulations in Tennessee at that time required you to measure each shell by hand with a sizing ring. If it didn't meet the legal minimum size, then you had to throw it back. Suddenly I heard my dad say, wah, rah, 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 rah. And I couldn't hear a word he was saying when he handed me a shell. My ears were still muffled by the diving hood and I was too cold to take it off. So I just held the shell in my hand and I gave him a questioning look. Wah, rah, 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 he said again. And I just sat there wondering, what is he saying? Rawr, 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 rawr. And this time he began to wave his hands and he was mad. And I just thought, okay, I better guess what he's saying. So I thought he was saying, throw it overboard. So I did. He just sat there for a moment. And finally he took off his hood and just stared at me. So I took off my hood and I stared at him. And he said, what did you think I said? And I said, you said, throw it overboard. And he said, No, I said, measure the shell. And then we just stared at each other until we both began laughing. Every time I think about that day, I think about how easy it is for any of us to be misunderstood. And when you're navigating the road with someone else, or you're navigating a boat with someone else, or you're navigating a school with someone else, sometimes you think people understand you, and they don't. And as school leaders, we can often think that we're being understood while others may not really be hearing the message that we're trying to communicate. Maybe that happens because they're just not paying attention to our message. Or maybe it's happening because we're choosing the wrong way to communicate. Or maybe it's not being understood because we're not taking time to stop and really listen to one another. Well, with that in mind, This semester, I'm hosting a webinar series on my new book, Messaging Matters, and this week I want to replay back for you episode two of that webinar series where we explore three questions on how education leaders can be enhancing communication with their teachers. I want to transition now to that recorded webinar, and I just want to ask you as you're listening to think about what are the best ways that you can create the foundations for really being understood. Thank you so much for joining this education leader webinar that's hosted by COSA, 
our school leaders association here in Oklahoma. My name is Will Parker. I'm the executive director for OASSP and OMLEA. And as you're joining in, your mic is being muted, um, but we can unmute those mics as we talk throughout the topics of this chapter. Last year, I wrote a book called Messaging Matters with Solution Tree Press. And it's a book that's really a combination of about the last five years of work that I've done on how to enhance communication with students and teachers and community members. It's a much deeper dive into communication than I have done in some of the other presentations that I've done on how to be a chief communicator, how to be a cheerleader for your school. And chapter two is all about how do we cultivate positive messages with our teachers? And last uh, week, we, I introduced the book by talking about the fact that this book is broken down into three areas. How do we inspire teachers? How do we motivate students? And how do we reach communities? And so this chapter is a focus specifically on cultivating the kind of culture, collaboration, communication that we want with teachers, the foundations for our messaging. Also, it's about how we model that messaging in our own work so that we could become models for the way we want teachers to be doing that with students. And then what are the frameworks for the most consistent feedback for our teachers, specifically instructional feedback. And so I want to dive into those three areas today. And to, just so that I can respect your time, normally we try to wrap this up in about 30 minutes of conversation. And at the end, I'll invite you to unmute your mics and we can uh, go through any questions that you might have or other feedback too. If you've got a question you'd like to chat during the conversation under the more section, you should have a place there to chat as well. So thank you again for being a part of this conversation. I want to begin with a story. About four years ago, I was in Washington, D.C. with my superintendent at the time when I was serving as the principal of Skytook High School, Rick Thomas, my superintendent accompanied me to a meeting that we were doing there and some advocacy visits that I was doing on Capitol Hill. And the last day of our trip, we had some extra time before catching our flight. And the Potomac River was flowing right beside the hotel where we were staying. So we went down and found a place that rented kayaks. And as Rick and I set off on the Potomac River, we wanted to go across and hit Theodore Roosevelt Island, which is a monument area there really close to the river. And I was sitting up front, Rick was sitting in the back, and as we were paddling, we weren't making very much headway. And finally, he stopped and said, hey, can we talk about um, how we're paddling? Because um, I was trying to go one direction, he was trying to go the other. And so we started coordinating together our strokes on the same sides at the same time to make sure that we were navigating in the same direction. And when we came back to school at the beginning of uh, the summer, as we started our in-service with teachers, I remember uh, Rick Thomas standing up and telling that same story. And he was talking about the fact that sometimes we can be in the same boat and not be trying to paddle the same direction. And even though we're in the same boat, that doesn't always mean that we are cooperating. And so I want to talk about what I consider to be three foundations for messaging and communicating effectively with our teachers specifically. And I believe those three foundations are built on culture, collaboration, and positive communication. And I want to just walk through each of those for just a moment. First of all, with culture. You know, culture is, I believe, the foundation for any kind of school environment or improvement. It doesn't matter if what research you look at when it comes to breakthrough schools or blue ribbon schools 
or high-performing schools, no matter what their outcomes are, the cultivation happens first with culture. You can have amazing instructional goals. You can have very talented people on your team, but it's the culture that cultivates the attitude and the environment where students and teachers can thrive. And I believe that culture happens in a lot of different ways. And so I just want to review some of these things that you already know instinctively and through practice, but I think they're good reminders. I think, first of all, culture happens through listening. Giving teachers the opportunity to give you the kind of feedback that's necessary for good leadership. And when I step into a building as a new leader, usually I spend a lot of time first just getting to know people. As, uh, as I moved into my first assistant principal role in my second building as a site principal, first I wanted to get to know people. And that practice doesn't stop. How do we listen to others so that we have the feedback that they need so that they feel empowered to do the work that they're doing? I remember last year specifically a, a new teacher. We've had a lot of new teachers in our schools in Oklahoma in the last few years, especially with alternative certifications. He was overwhelmed with all of the to-dos and the responsibilities that he had. And one day he asked for a meeting after school and he brought a long list of things that were upsetting him or concerning him. And as we worked through that next hour, just going point by point through his list of concerns, at the end of that conversation, he stood up and as he walked out of my office, he, he crumpled up that list and he threw it in the trash. And he looked at me and he, and he had this, kind of this um, sigh of relief on his face as he said, um, thanks just for taking time to listen. And so I know that as we are giving teachers the opportunity to be heard, then that gives us the opportunity to build a culture where together we can be finding solutions. The second way I believe we build culture is by hiring for excellence. And I know that this is a no-brainer as well, but as we're recruiting people onto our teams and have the opportunities to hire new folks, that's the perfect time for us to be communicating the values that we expect team members to have as a part of our school community. And if I can sense in a conversation with the prospective employee or teacher that they don't share those same values, that they don't have that same passion for, for caring for students as well as instructing students, then they're not going to be the best fit for the, for the team. And so building culture also happens over time as you have the ability to hire for excellence. And I, because I had the privilege of, in the last building that I served, being there for, for 10 years as an assistant first and then as the high school principal, I was able to, over time, over those 10 years, build a staff where more than 75% of the people in that building were folks that I was able to hire um, directly. And so, it's a, it's a, the best way that you can build culture is also hiring people that share the kinds of values that you want promoted through your school too. I think another important way to do that is by the way we, that we do induction and training with teachers. How are we cultivating the kind of environment that we want happening in our classrooms? And that happens by the way that we connect young teachers with older teachers, that we mentor new teachers as they're coming in, and as we train them for the work that they're doing too. And then the last way I think it's important to model culture is by encouraging and by demonstrating the kinds of behaviors that you expect from others too. And so that means sometimes we have to be willing to stand in front of a class and model for teachers the, the kinds of teaching that we want to see them doing. It also means that when we're doing our own training with teachers, our own faculty meetings with teachers, our instructional learning with teachers, that we are setting up those meetings the same way we would want our good classrooms to be set up with times for collaboration and connection, that we're well prepared, that we're modeling the kind of culture that we want to see in others too. So the first foundation I believe for a strong 
um, school environment is culture. The second foundation for a strong school environment for messaging is, is collaboration. And there's a fantastic study that was done by Margaret Heffernan. It's a, it's a TED Talk you could check out sometime where she connects with research by William Muir, who had actually studied um, the processes and habits of laying hens. And I grew up on a farm, so this study actually fascinated me. But when they looked at the, the um, life of laying hens, they took a group of hens and they set them uh, on a farm and for six generations, they left them alone. And then they took another group of hens where they would choose out the best layers among them and they would pull them out and create a flock that they called super chickens. And they, over six generations, they watched their super chicken flock versus their normal chicken flock. And at the end, they reported their research. And it was really a funny study because what they found at the end was this. The chickens that were put into a natural environment and left to um, to brood together and to live together and to uh, and to lay in eggs together. The normal group actually had a higher production than the super chicken group, because what they found with the super chicken group was that the super chickens were all so assertive that they tried to kill each other, that they were pecking each other to death. And that small study by Margaret Heffernan teaches a valuable lesson about collaboration, and that's this: that strong teams aren't necessarily the most talented people. Strong teams are people who are willing to build time together, focus on essential standards together, and grow together by listening to one another. And so I believe as you're building a strong culture of collaboration, how are you building time into your school year so that you have time for collaboration? Now, for a high school, in my experience, that meant that we had to build a master schedule that lend itself to collaboration. So we would make sure that all of our core subject teachers, and this was really hard, especially in our English language and our math, had common planning periods. And frankly, I had a curriculum director that helped coach me through that because I didn't think it was possible with as complicated as a high school schedule can be, but we figured out a way to do it. Also, how do you build times for those who don't have common plans so that they have time to plan together? And so we would build times into our schedule regularly for those folks to meet and for principals as administrative leaders for us to be a part of those conversations too. Also, I think collaboration happens when you focus on essential standards. Too often, we're focusing on test results instead of learning standards. And I think if we make our focus on testing results instead of essential standards, then we become too overwhelmed with the process of school and we lose our passion for teaching. And so as you're collaborating with teachers, what are you collaborating about? Not just student behavior, not just outcomes, but about learning standards because those standards are what drives the conversations for those other areas of improvement. And I think it's important too to look at growth because students all measure in different ways in terms of their mastery. And so as we're collaborating together, the conversation has to be about how are we growing students, no matter what level that they're on. And that way we're not overwhelmed if we've got students that are low performers or we think that maybe we need a class with higher performers. We want teachers to be encouraged to focus on growth, no matter what level they have students. And then I think as education leaders, if we're going to encourage collaboration, we also have to provide ways for people to do that. And that means giving them the resources that they need, the technology tools that they need, or being willing to provide subs for them for times where maybe they need to pull out for a day and simply collaborate around issues that they haven't had time to do in our embedded schedules. So culture, collaboration, and third, communication. I think the third foundation for being able to message 
well with teachers is modeling that through our own visibility, being able to pull teachers together. I call it meet before meetings. How are we making sure that the meetings that we have are going to be as productive as possible? So often I will pull teachers in for meetings before a meeting. I'll pull in a small leadership group and say, listen, here's an agenda I'm thinking about for our next faculty meeting. Go over it with me. And that way they can help me prioritize what's really essential and necessary. and We're not wasting time. I also think it's important that as we're thinking about communication, that we model the kinds of atmospheres that we want to see in our classrooms. And so I think that happens um, by the way that we conduct our own meetings, by the way that we run our offices, by the way that we encourage our staff, but also how are we modeling that ourselves? Are we being friendly and helpful to those around us? Are we being timely in response to people's questions? Are we providing reassurances even when we have to say no? Um, are we regularly updating people so that they have constant, uh, consistent communication of what's to be expected? And are we maintaining positive atmospheres? I call this good customer service. And I know sometimes it's weird to talk about schools like organizations or companies, but I think sometimes we miss out when we're working so closely with our teammates that they deserve the same kind of dignity and respect that we expect when we walk into a store or a restaurant or a hotel or some place of service. And so when is the last time that you've looked at your teachers as your customers, as those that you want to make sure that you're giving the same kinds of respect and dignity that you want them giving their students and you want them giving their parents. And so culture, collaboration, and communication. I think those are the three foundations that we have to be committed to if we're going to have messaging that's trustworthy. Because no matter what your message is, and unless you're building a culture that's um, positive, unless you're collaborating together around what matters, and unless you're communicating consistently and in a way that honors others, then people aren't going to trust the message that you have. And so I, it's important that as we talk about messaging, we're not just simply talking about how, we're talking about the atmosphere necessary for people to trust your message. So here's some questions I'd like you to think about for just a moment. What are your strengths or weaknesses when it comes to those three C's, culture, collaboration, and communication? Where's an area where you feel like you're already practicing some of those same habits, but then what's an area where you might be able to begin to show improvement? Because I believe every one of us has areas where we continue to grow. Second question is this, how are you and your staff paddling together? Because as you are reaching your goals this year, as you're trying to navigate the course, you might be in the same boat, but is everyone moving in the same direction? How are you and your staff paddling together with those same values in mind? Because those same values that I just shared with you are values that I would share with my own team members, that these, these are the ways that we serve each other and they're the ways that we serve students. And then the third question is this, what is one step that you can take to be gathering input from your staff? How can you be getting more feedback so that you can be providing better um, outcomes for those whom you're leading? So I want you to think about that for just a moment. If you want to make uh, comments in the more section of your comment uh, of your menu bar, you can. And I'll open the mics at the end of this conversation as well so that you can respond to those too. But the second part of our conversation today is about how do we model that kind of messaging? How do we model the kind of customer service that I talked about earlier so that our teachers feel like we're treating them with the kind of dignity and respect that we want them 
treating their students with. And these are some takeaways that I would like you to think about for modeling messaging. If you've listened to my presentations before, you know I've talked a lot about what I call KRAs, identifying key responsibility areas. And I believe that one of the most important ways that we can be modeling messages for our teachers is by making sure that the way that we organize our school, the way that we organize our offices, is like we would organize a good classroom. Because running a great school is no, no different than running a great classroom. It's the same essentials. You have the same, you have the strong processes in place, the right environment in place, and the right responsibilities identified so that going forward, everyone knows what their roles are. So if you want to look at resources in chapter two of my book, Messaging Matters, I give some examples of this in that book, and I can also share some with you if you'd like to reach out to me by email, or I can point you to some links on my website. But Key responsibility areas, I think, is an important way for us to be modeling messaging. How are we helping our staff know what their responsibilities are? And have we put those in writing? And so I sit down every year, especially with even my non-instructional staff, to make sure that they know what their responsibilities are as they're serving throughout the school year. So how can you be having conversations with your staff members about the tasks that they complete? Also, I think it's important when we're modeling message to remember what is the object of our service? As we each understand our roles and responsibilities, we have to remember that the objects of our service ultimately are students. But as school leaders, in order to reach students, we have to be reaching our teachers. How are we serving our teachers so that they can be serving students? And third, what is our attitude while we're serving? You know, I know that as school leaders, I often talk to my colleagues about frustrations with people with bad attitudes. And I Sometimes I have to reflect first on how am I modeling for my teachers the kind of attitude that I want them to have? Because if I'm getting irritated or if I'm showing frustration, then what do I expect from them when they're standing in front of students? And so how can I have the kind of model, the kind of attitude that I want them modeling with students, which also means treating others with the same dignity and respect that we would want to be shown in any setting too. So how are we treating others with this kind of dignity and respect that we want them showing their students or parents in those conversations? The other day I had someone ask, how do you model dignity and respect? And let me just give you an example. You know, sometimes I've had to compose emails for teachers as examples of this is a better way to communicate with a parent. Or sometimes I've had to model how to make a phone call um, with dignity and respect so that you're talking to a parent in a way that doesn't make them seem like you're accusing or criticizing their parenting abilities. Sometimes it's important to, to avoid words like problem when you're talking about a student and use a word like situation. And so treating others with dignity and respect means we model that so that people can see how they can turn that into their own communication. And then another way I believe it's important for us to model behavior is by beta testing initiatives. And what I mean by that is this, often as school leaders, we communicate things at the last minute. And if we communicate things at the last minute, people are frustrated. So one of the practices that we began in my school was beta testing. If we had an idea for a big change we wanted to do for next school year, for instance, we would start testing that idea in advance. So for instance, last year we were talking about a remediation schedule that we were going to be rolling out for the new school year. So in the spring semester, we started beta testing that new schedule 
a couple of times so that teachers and students could practice it and give us feedback on whether it was working or not and where we needed to, to tweak it before jumping into it full time. That's a great way to model ahead of time. So your communication is happening in a way where you're giving people far in advance ideas of what to expect. Here's some other ways to model messaging. Be a goal setter example. If we expect teachers to be setting goals, how are we setting goals and then modeling that for them? How are we setting goals for ourselves personally and professionally? And then how are we setting goals for our schools? And then because if we're expecting our teachers to set goals, we need to be setting specific goals as well. Now, one way that you can do that professionally, obviously, was with student growth and outcomes. Um, sometimes you can do that personally, and it's important sometimes to set personal goals as well. Five years ago, I set a goal to start blogging and posting content every week to share about educational lessons and leadership. And so that goal actually was a five-year goal. I decided I was going to post something every week for five years, and I was able to reach that goal. Um, it's a crazy goal, but I have shared that with some of the teachers on my team so that they could see that I wanted to practice goal setting so that they could set goals that were crazy and audacious too. The next point I'd make on modeling is this, stay professional even on bad days. All of us have days that are rough and, and, and stressful, but how can we stay professional? I, one of my favorite uh, memories is a teacher that I worked with for years named Brooks Walton. He was a 25-year veteran at our school, and I would love passing him in the mornings because in the mornings are usually when you're the quietest and still trying to wake up, and every day I passed Brooks Walton, I would say, how are you this morning? And he would say, I'm just living the dream. And I love that response because he actually meant it. Some days he would say it with a little sarcasm, but he would stand at his door and greet students with that same attitude of, I'm living the dream. And I kept that in mind on days that I was having a bad day, that this calling that we have, this opportunity that we have to serve others is something that can be contagious in a positive way or contagious in a bad way if we're having a bad attitude. That leads into the last two points. How do we continuously show good attitudes in the work that we're doing so that others see that same model? And then how are we celebrating the positives? Because every single day we have lots of negatives and challenges that have to be overcome. But if those become the primary thing that we're messaging about, then we're missing an opportunity. What we need to be messaging about is not just answers to solutions, but also the celebrations of the great things happening. Because we will never overwhelm the negatives unless we are mindful that something positive is happening around us all, this, all the time. So as a practice, as you're walking through your school, as you're observing classrooms, as you're standing on duties, as you see opportunities for, um, of student learning happening, how are you capturing that moment and then celebrating it with teachers through your messaging? Now it's your turn again. Think about some of the ways that you are developing models for your teachers. How are you defining key responsibility areas for your staff so that they know what their responsibilities are? And again, there's some good samples of that um, in chapter two of the book. If you want to see some KRAs that I've used, and I would be glad to share those with you online too. Next, how do you model the behavior that you expect? Are you showing the same kinds of professionalism and attitude and celebration that you want your teachers to be showing to their students? And then how can you make celebration of teachers a ritual? Whether that's making a ritual of honoring teachers of the month, whether that's making a ritual of celebrating people's birthdays making or making a ritual of as you finish an observation, sharing that back out with other teachers of the great things that you're seeing in classrooms. How are you embedding those practices into your messaging so that you're modeling those things for teachers as well?
And then the third area that I wanted to talk about this morning is how do we provide the most powerful and effective feedback for our teachers? And that means how are we being strong instructional coaches? And I could stay in this area for a long time, but I just want to quickly walk through um, some some suggestions in this area. A couple of years ago, my student, my my own children were taking swim lessons from a family that lives in the in the uh, Sperry area, close to where I live here in Owasso. And um, Mr. Rick and Miss Suzanne are retired educators. Some of you may know them from this area, but they are a retired couple who, in the summers, they train children how to swim. And as I was sitting at the poolside watching them training my own children, I was just kind of taking mental notes on their amazing ability to introduce a topic, model the behavior that they were wanting, assess that behavior, and then coach students on improvements. And as I was watching them teach through their uh, swim instruction, I was just thinking, you know, I'm not a swim coach. And I know I, know, I don't know nearly as much as they do about swimming, but I can certainly recognize great teaching when I see it. And I just want to encourage you as an instructional leader, no matter what your subject content is, what your background is, mine was language arts, maybe yours was math or science or history, whatever it is, all of us have the ability to identify great instruction, regardless of the subject. And so as you're thinking about the framework for feedback that you have for your teachers in your building, how can you become a stronger instructional messenger? And I believe the first way we do that is by making sure that we're identifying best practices. No matter what the subject is, we can all identify best practices of effective teachers and how are we sharing those with one another and encouraging those practices among them. Next, how do we keep learning central by scheduling learning in advance? Now, I know that that scheduling can be a whole nother um, episode that we talk about. But I think it's important as instructional leaders that we're scheduling our own time in advance to be in classrooms. And one of the, um, one of the suggestions that I give school leaders who talk about how frustrating it is that they don't have enough time in classrooms is to make sure that you're blocking and scheduling time in classrooms before school ever starts. And so in the summer, I always sit down and schedule out the entire year of the blocks of time I plan to be in teachers' classrooms every single week. And then I build all of my other requests and and meetings around that. It doesn't mean that sometimes a crisis doesn't take me off of my schedule, but it means that I've made that my first priority so that everything else can be built around that. And the next, I just want to remind you that we have to be able to provide those expectations to teachers in advance as well. And if you use the TLE model like I do, then those 20 domains become a great way to provide those expectations as well as guiding questions. And I'm not going to dive into the TLE rubric in this conversation, but I just want to encourage you, if you are looking at the the book uh, Messaging Matters in Chapter 2, I I take a couple of pages just to break the TLE down into parts of how you can use it with guiding questions to go into a deeper conversation about instructional learning with teachers. So as we're in classrooms, how are we using guiding questions to make sure that we're giving the right feedback to teachers to improve instruction? So let's wrap this up. What are ways that you're setting expectations and providing feedback and instruction regardless of the subject? And how can you reach out to other administrators about how they prioritize and schedule time in classrooms? Because consistently as I'm talking to school leaders across our state and even in other states, um, that's a common frustration that school leaders have. How can I maximize the time that I have 
and teach your classrooms. You know, this week, as you're thinking about how do you create the kind of culture, the kind of modeling, the kind of instructional messaging that you need to so that teachers can be as effective as they can in their classroom, you cannot do that unless we're inspiring teachers with integrity and trust. And so, as we take a deep dive into messaging with teachers, the reminders and takeaways that I wanted to share with you today all come back to how are we creating the kind of environments where teachers can trust that we are the kinds of leaders that are modeling the kind of messaging that we want them to be doing with students. Principal Matters listeners, thank you for the time that you've taken to listen to that. And if you've waited until the end for some closing thoughts, thank you. You may be communicating a lot with your team members this school year, but it's important to reflect on whether or not they're receiving the message And by committing to strong foundations that happen through the frameworks you build for strong communication, the modeling that you're doing, the the way that you're scheduling communication, all of these frameworks are built on integrity and trust. And when teachers know they can trust our message and they really understand what we're trying to communicate, then we can actually begin reaching goals with our students. So thanks for the time you've taken to listen this week. I can't wait to talk to you again next week. And until then, thanks for doing what matters. 